Today's reading is going to be out of Matthew 9, 35 to Matthew 10 through 10, 8. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, excuse me, proclaiming good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impurity, impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So the summer after my sixth grade year was a big year for movies. Uh, Several big movies came out that spring or summer. If you're doing the math at home, I was came out of sixth grade in 1996. So in 1996, uh, Twister came out. We have another cow. I think that's the same cow. Uh, (laughs) Independence Day. Welcome to Earth. Um, And the first Mission Impossible movie came out. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. Do you remember this? As always, should you be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck. So last week, I mentioned I was, I like did a lot of music growing up, right? So I was a band nerd. I played the flute. And um, I remember in seventh grade, I was very excited because that fall, our band director presented us with music for the Mission Impossible theme. Right? It's so good. Da, 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 da. So good. Great theme song. Um, but our passage today is kind of like the invitation to Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. Today's passage is where Jesus first sends out his disciples. He tells them what their mission is to be. These disciples have been following him. They've been watching him teach and preach and heal. And now he says, okay, you've been watching long enough. It's time to go and do. So in our passage today, we're going to learn about the mission Jesus gives his disciples. We're also going to read about some instructions and warnings that Jesus gives the disciples about their mission. And finally, we're going to talk about the promises Jesus gave his disciples about their mission. So the mission, instructions and warnings, promises. That's Matthew chapter 10. That's where we're going today. Just like last week, we're going to cover a lot of text, and we won't have time to read the whole thing. So take your Bible home later and read the whole chapter when you get home later. But so as we read about the missions, the instructions and warnings, and the promises that Jesus gave his 12 disciples, we should be listening carefully. Because we've said, right, the book of Matthew was written to be a discipleship manual for the early church. 
Matthew is careful to include stories and teachings of Jesus that he wants to highlight for the early church as they figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Today, we're called to do the same things. So as we've been talking through the book of Matthew, we've defined discipleship. I've been using the same definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus the whole time. And I thought maybe it'd be good if we would say the definition together. So we're all on the same page. I know you've heard it a lot, but can we say it together? Can we stick that slide up with the definition? So a disciple of Jesus, let's say this together. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Great, let's say that one more time. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Right, so we're all on the same page. When we say a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, this is what we mean. Someone who's following Jesus, someone who's being changed by Jesus, and someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. So today's passage focuses in on that third component, how we, as followers of Jesus, commit ourselves to the mission of Jesus, how we live out that third piece of being a follower of Jesus. So a few minutes ago, Kate read for us um, the last verses of chapter 9 into the first few verses of chapter 10. Two times in that passage, we saw what Jesus' mission is and what our mission is supposed to be. In Matthew 9, 35, we read... Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And then in Matthew 10, 7 and 8, we're going to read. You're going to see some repeated words, so pay attention. Matthew 7 and 8, 10, 7 and 8 says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Did you catch the mission? In those verses, we read what Jesus was doing. Proclaiming the news of the kingdom and healing. And he wants his disciples to go proclaim the kingdom of heaven and heal. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven, heal. That's the disciples' mission. That's our mission. If we choose to accept it, it's these two things. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and heal. Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. This is the basic mission of Jesus and the basic mission of us as his followers. So let's talk for a minute about what those two things mean. So first, what does it mean to proclaim the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's what Jesus has been doing in the Sermon on the Mount. I love this, you guys. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. That's all about proclaiming the kingdom. And then Matthew 8 and 9 is all about Jesus healing. So Matthews 5 through 7 and 8 and 9 are examples of what we're supposed to do. So in Matthews 5 to 7, Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is. He tells people. The kingdom of God is where everyone has what they need, where relationships are perfect, where all creation is flourishing. And Jesus says, to get these beautiful outcomes of God's kingdom, we have to live according to the king's way of life. And that means to honor the poor and the broken We have to forgive each other. We have to freely share all we have. So our first job is to tell people how amazing life can be in God's kingdom. To share the beautiful picture we have in scripture about what God wants for his world. And as he told the disciples, to tell everyone that the kingdom of heaven has come near in Jesus. That God does not just stand far off waiting for us to get our act together and figure out a better way of life. 
No, he came near in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The kingdom of heaven has come close to broken humanity to help us find our way back to God and his perfect kingdom. What a gift that is to a world that is broken and battered. Our first job is to proclaim the hope of God's kingdom come near in Jesus. Secondly, Matthew says that the mission of Jesus is to heal. Jesus healed diseases. He healed sicknesses. He told the disciples to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. And that's what Matthew, as I said, Matthew chapters 8 and 9 were about. We looked last week at the 10 miracle stories contained in those two chapters. Why is healing such an important part of the mission of Jesus? First stop to think about that. Why does Jesus not just send his disciples to proclaim the kingdom, to just preach, to talk about what God's kingdom should look like, to share the good news that God has come near Jesus? Why is healing the second part of the mission that he gives them? Well, healing is such an important part of Jesus' ministry and ours because it's the visible demonstration of what God's kingdom looks like. It is one thing to speak of a place where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more loneliness. But it is quite another to experience the kingdom in person, to see a blind man open his eyes, to watch a paralyzed man get up and walk, to witness a girl who had been dead walking around with her family. Jesus heals as he teaches because he wants people to know that the kingdom of God is not only a someday thing. It is also a now thing. It started with Jesus. When Jesus came, he inaugurated in the kingdom of God. From the moment he showed up on earth, redemptive history took a turn. God's kingdom started to slowly spread back on the earth. So when Jesus healed people, when his disciples healed people, when we participate in bringing healing, we are offering the world a visible demonstration of what the kingdom of God looks like in action. Oh, God is still healing. As we talked about last Sunday, God still heals. There are still people with cancer who receive miraculous recovery. There are people with vision problems that are given back their sight. It still happens. Our mission is to do the same things Jesus did, the same things his disciples did, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. And we do this, right, by telling our stories of what God's done in our lives. We do this by telling people how good God is, how good his plans for the world are. We, we do this by studying the Bible together with each other. We, we do this by sharing God's word with other people, maybe a psalm or an encouraging Bible verse about God's love or comfort. Oh, and we heal. We heal. Our healing work might look lots of different ways. Some of us may literally pray for healing and watch it physically happen. Or it might look like the way uh, the theologian Anna Case Winters says it in her book on Matthew. She says, The charge to cure the sick may include all kinds of healing, addressing the full range of things that hurt them or diminish their lives. Raising the dead could include challenging the death-dealing systems and structures and things that crush people and suck the life right out of them. 
cleansing lepers would surely include not only the physical healing, but also social restoration of those who are outcast, the untouchables of our own time and place. To cast out demons expands to include setting people free from whatever holds them in bondage, everything from addiction to political oppression. This is the mission of Jesus, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to bring healing however we can, wherever we go. As we go on this mission, Jesus is giving his disciples some instructions and warnings. I'm going to briefly highlight six of these instructions and warnings that we can see in the rest of chapter 10 about our mission. So first, in the end of chapter 9, we read that the motivation for our mission is compassion. The motivation for our mission is compassion. In 936-38, we read what precipitated Jesus' sending of his 12 disciples. The text says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Compassion is Jesus' fundamental reaction to human need. Jesus loves humanity. When he looks at people, he sees their hearts. He sees their deepest needs. His preaching, even the words we see him preach that are kind of hard for us to get and understand, all of it was said out of care and concern for people, out of a desperation for people to taste the good life that is possible in God's kingdom. And that's to be our motivation as well. Compassion for the world and those who are lost in the dark. Compassion for the staggering needs in front of us. Compassion when we look at so many who are lost. Our motivation for our mission is compassion. The second thing we see is that the mission is for everyone. It's for all of us. Matthew 10, 2 through 4 is the first place in Matthew where we learn the names of all the disciples. And as we look at the disciples, they, of course, have things in common. They're all Jewish men. But we can see stark differences in these 12 men. You've got Peter with his strong personality, who I don't think ever learned to, like, look before he leaped, to think before he would speak. And then you have Thomas on the other end of the spectrum, who just was a little slow to believe after Jesus' resurrection. He needed a little more proof, a little more time. You've got Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for Rome, and Simon the Zealot, who was probably part of a community actively trying to overthrow Rome. What different personalities in those 12 men? What different ideas about how the world should work? What different passions? And that's the point. Disciples of Jesus have lots of different opinions and personalities and passions. But we are all called to the same mission. Proclaim the kingdom of God and bring healing. When we all go do this same mission, the beauty is that it plays out in different ways. Here at Harbor, some of us are passionate about foster care, and so some of us uh, take in foster children. Some of us are passionate about health care, so we work in the healthcare industry or we lobby for more equitable health care. Some of us are passionate about diversity and, and treating everyone with respect and kindness and legal equity, regardless of ethnicity or nationality or sexual orientation, and so we work for that. Some of us are passionate about the homeless, and that's the point. <laughs> 
When we are all on the same mission with different passions and interests and personalities, we reach more people. We do more kingdom work. We make this world look a little more like the kingdom of God in lots of different arenas. The mission is for everyone. Related to that, the third thing we read about the mission is that Jesus empowers us for the mission. Jesus empowers us for the mission. Matthew 10.1 says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. It is Jesus who empowers us. Jesus empowered his disciples to represent him as his agents. These 12 were not qualified because of how amazing they were. Other stories in the Gospels make that clear. (laughs) The only thing that qualifies the disciples or us to be Jesus' representatives in the world is his call. So if you feel like you're not spiritual enough, you're not cleaned up enough, you're not smart enough, you're not whatever enough to represent Jesus, I would just refer you back to the 12 disciples Jesus sent out first. Liars, cheaters, doubters, betrayers, deserters. It has never been about who we are. It is only about the one who calls us. The fourth thing chapter 10 says is that our mission is not about making a profit or getting something out of it. In chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, Jesus is clearly telling the disciples to not go and try and like make money off their work. He's telling them they can surely rely on the generosity of others to have places to sleep and enough to eat. But the point here is that they're not supposed to be healers for hire. There have always been people willing to say whatever someone wants to hear in exchange for money. There were people in Jesus' day who would do miracles for money. There are televangelists in our day who do the same thing. And Jesus doesn't want his disciples to have anything to do with that. Because his disciples experience the love and grace of healing and forgiveness for free. And so they are to freely give what they've experienced. They are not to proclaim and heal, or they are to proclaim and heal out of compassion for the lost, not to make a profit. So we are not in this mission for what we get out of it. We're in this mission because we see people the way Jesus does. And we desperately want for them to experience the good life of God's kingdom. So number four is our mission's not about making a profit. The fifth thing Jesus says is that not everyone wants God's kingdom. Not everyone wants God's kingdom. That's what he's getting at if you'll read verses 11 through 15. And he talks about looking for the home of someone who will welcome you. And if no one welcomes you, shake the dust from your feet and move on. Jesus says, listen, if if people want to listen, if they're interested in the kingdom of God, then by all means, tell them more speak about God's kingdom with urgency because we know, right, that life outside of God's kingdom leads to death. That's what the whole Sodom and Gomorrah reference is in verse 15. Jesus is just saying, listen, life lived any way except for God's way leads to anger and death or anger and hate and selfishness and greed and all of that stuff only leads to death. So if someone's listening, speak with urgency, tell them more. But, Jesus says, if people aren't open, if they don't want to listen, if they're just not ready, it's okay to move on. Jesus says, actually, it's wise to move on. Jesus is saying, you you can't make people long for God's kingdom. You can't make people submit to to God's kingdom. God created humanity with agency, with free will. 
with the ability to make their own choices. God's not going to force anyone to follow him. Not everyone wants God's kingdom. And so if you share your faith with somebody and they're just not interested, it's okay. Move on. Building on that, the sixth thing Jesus says is a warning. He says, expect rejection and persecution. Expect it. That's what most of the the rest of chapter 10 is saying. Jesus says in verses 16 and 17 to be aware. Be ready for the reality that there are some who not only aren't interested personally in God's kingdom, but are actively opposing it. The kingdoms of earth do not want another kingdom. And they will do what they can to avoid submission to God's rules. That is just how it has always been. So expect opposition, expect rejection, expect that sometimes harm might come to you as you tell people what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. In 1024, Jesus says, listen, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. Jesus is saying, look, they crucified Jesus. His proclamation of God's kingdom, his healing of the broken, his invitation in to the people on the margins, his upsetting of the system. This is why the religious leaders in Rome crucified him. And if they did this to Jesus, the son of God, you should not expect to be treated differently. This past week, I was rereading Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Dr. King lived what this passage says. Dr. King was arrested, beaten, maligned, misunderstood, and eventually assassinated because of his proclamation of what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like. His work was motivated by his understanding of God's desires for humanity. That is why he did all that work he did. He was committed to bringing God's kingdom on earth and bringing healing to a nation that has been held captive to the disease of white supremacy. That is what motivated all of Martin Luther King Jr.'s work. And sometimes it was even the people that he hoped he could rely on for support who spoke out against him. In the instance of this letter, it was a group of white pastors who said that his tactics and timing were all wrong. And in his frustration, he penned this letter from a Birmingham jail. In this dark place, he drew on the experience of Jesus for the strength to carry on, even when other Christians rejected him as being too extreme. He wrote, Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. He went on to say, So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or the extension of justice? In that dramatic scene on Calvary's hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all of them were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness and thereby rose above his environment. And he closed that section by saying, perhaps the South, the nation, and the world are in dire need of creative extremists.
following this mission that Jesus sends us on is going to be hard. And he wants us to know that going in. He wanted his disciples to be prepared. Jesus also, in these passages, made a promise to his disciples. Four times in chapter 10, he told them, don't worry, don't be afraid. He's telling them that following him will likely cost them everything. It might cost them friendships. It might cost them family relationships. They might be arrested and beaten and put on trial. Most of the 12 disciples will eventually lose their lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. And in the midst of these warnings, Jesus tells them, but don't worry. Don't be afraid. He says, don't worry because God sees you. God is with you. In chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says that God will tell them what to say when they're asked hard questions, that the Holy Spirit will speak through them when they don't know what to say. In verses 29 to 31, Jesus underscores again what he already shared in the Sermon on the Mount, that God cares about them. He cares about them so much, Jesus said, that he knows the number of hairs on your head. God is paying attention to everything about you. He sees you. In verse 32, Jesus promises his followers that if they are faithful to keep pointing people towards God's kingdom, no matter what it costs them, he will lift them up to the Father. He'll point them out and say, these guys did a great job. (laughs) These guys just kept preaching your kingdom, living your kingdom, healing people, even though it cost them. In verse 39, Jesus says that even if we lose our very lives following the call of God's kingdom, we will find a life more deep and lasting and satisfying than anything we've ever experienced on earth. And towards the end of chapter 10, in verses 40 and 42, Jesus says that his followers, those who proclaim his kingdom, who bring healing everywhere they go, whatever it costs them, they will receive a reward that they cannot lose. Jesus wants us to know that we have all been called to join him on his mission of proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom and healing the world. He wants us to be ready for what that might cost us, and he wants us to know that the cost is worth it. That's the life of a disciple of Jesus, to accept this mission, to show everyone we can how good life is in God's kingdom, to speak with words sometimes, to demonstrate with actions other times, to view people the way that Jesus does with compassion, to seek to heal in any and every way that we can, to lean on Christ to empower us for this mission, to to trust him even when it's hard, to be faithful to what he calls you to and asks of you no matter what it costs. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what you're signing up for. I think on this weekend, when we remember the life of Dr. King, it's probably a good time for us as followers of Jesus to look at the world around us and ask, what's broken in the world that God might be calling me to help heal? Where is there a dark place that I can shine the light of Jesus' love? Where is there discouragement where I can bring joy? Where is there hopelessness that I can speak the hope of Jesus? 
As we prepare for communion today, I want to invite you to take a few minutes to consider how Jesus wants you to join him in his mission of proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom and bringing healing. Listen to what God is saying to you about your role. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's. God's put you on the earth to do things that only you are empowered to do, to reach people only you are empowered to reach, to bring hope where only you have been empowered to bring hope. As you listen, as you consider the joining of your life with Jesus, joining your life in his mission, consider the cost. Yes, the mission cost Jesus his very life. Following Jesus, we will have to die to ourselves again and again and again. And as you come up this morning to receive communion, whenever you're ready, look at the bread, look at the juice. Consider whether you are willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads, even if it costs you. And then eat and drink as your submission to the mission of Jesus, wherever it leads. Let's pray. Jesus, the call to follow you on your mission to bring hope and healing to the world is a weighty call. It's beautiful. It is beautiful to get to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring joy to those who are discouraged. It's beautiful. And we've acknowledged that there are, there are forces at work in this world that don't want your kingdom. And so we know, we expect with certainty that following you, proclaiming the way you say life is supposed to be will come with difficulty. Jesus, will you give us courage to follow where you lead? Will you help us to trust you even when it's hard? Will you help us to live every day intentionally on mission for you to bring your hope and healing into a world that desperately needs it? In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.